0: Welcome Fraud Fighters to another episode of the Digital Trust and Safety Insider Podcast brought to you by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. Today we're joined by Dom Squeo, gaming industry veteran and risk consultant for Eilers and Cryjack, focusing on electronic money movement. With deep expertise in online fraud prevention, AML, responsible gaming and payments, Dom is well-versed in how account takeovers and financial fraud impact iGaming, a space that's attracted the attention of cybercriminals since day one. But that day wasn't really that long ago, and gaming and gambling operators haven't had decades to figure out uh, the fight against fraud, at least not in the U.S. They've had a few years at best, with global economic disruption and digital transformation playing out at the same time. It's for that reason the business businesses in every industry at every stage of growth can learn a couple of fraud fighting cheat codes from our friends in the iGaming space. I'm your host Kevin Lee and this is Beating the Odds in the Global Fraud Economy. Thank you for joining us today Dom.
1: Thank you for having me and uh, you know really excited to to actually you know spend time you know talking about you know fraud in the gaming industry which has been pretty much a a, we'll call it an unknown topic and it's been Pretty much left, you know, um, to the dark. We'll say to you know, in the dark. We'll say even more, but but you know, happy to you know, be part of this conversation.
0: Awesome. Well, it's great to have you on today. Um, I thought I'd use our time first by first giving a background on your experiences, where it sounds like you didn't always kind of uh, stay in the iGaming gaming space. So I was wondering if you can kind of walk us through a little bit of your experiences in the trust and safety and fraud space.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'll I'll start the you know like this. You know, I think a lot of you know people call it fraud fighters. You know, folks that you know go into you know this this area called fraud in the e-commerce world specifically. You know, merchants. You know, working with companies. You know, on the operation side to to manage you know risk and specifically around you know financial risk and financial fraud. I actually stumbled upon it. Uh, in a very random way. And so, you know, early in my career, you know, I probably spent more time trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And so I spent more time, you know, um, trying different things. So I worked in customer service. Um, then I spent some time working in IT and, and I moved around a lot too. So that obviously allowed me to, to think things through about what I wanted to do next. And, you know, the, the first point of my, my fraud career was when I joined Expedia um, back in 2015. Um, this was a role that, that I pretty much applied for with the assumption that it was cool, it was neat, it looked like it was very interesting, it was a fraud analyst position, um, but it was specifically around charback. So the role in the title was specific to that, but it was called the suspect fraud analyst, um, which to me is synonymous to possibly say like chargeback analyst. So um, I spent, you know, my first, you know, wrote, we'll say my first year, you know, in this, position as a fraud analyst at Expedia. And I think that first year pretty much cemented the entire career that I had, you know, across many different companies. Um, But I really thought at that point that this is what I wanted to do. So um, spent some time, you know, evaluating chartbacks for, um, you know, Expedia. I was actually one of their first external hires. So um, typically it was it was known that you know most people that work in fraud started in the more we'll call it manual review slash live fraud teams, and then they would move on to other teams. And so I was brought in as their first external hire, um, learned a lot, um, saw a lot. You know, travel is a very uh unique industry and it does invite a lot of fraudsters. And, and we would definitely spend more time trying to mitigate fraud. And and at that time, obviously it was more of like trying to understand you know how to you know we'll say manage losses more than manage fraud because you really can't defeat it, but you can you know do the best you can to really try to have a step ahead of the fraud. I mean I'll say ahead of fraudsters um, so to speak. So that was the first part of my career. Uh, but then I had we'll call it the um, shifts. So I moved on to another company that is now part of Visa, which is called Verify. Um, Verify. spent time building out a product that pretty much served the e-commerce industry specifically, which was basically CDRN. Um, you know, I will even say you know the newer products now, like Order Insights, which is something that's really, you know relatively used by insurers and, and merchants alike. Um, so I spent time there working on the managed services team. You know, handling disputes for different uh, merchants. You know, clients. You know, that were pretty much part of the Verify portfolio. Um, and then I went into payment processing and I pretty much started, we'll call it the early part of my gaming career where I was focused on gaming merchants um, that were basically using um, Verify, but not Verify specifically. It was another company that Verify owned called Cam's and CAMS served the gaming industry in the early stages when New Jersey was the only state that pretty much allowed online gaming. So um spent some time, you know, managing clients that were using us for ID verification and also payment processing. And from there, that's when I started to realize, I'm like, this space is relatively new. Um, there's something that's, you know, very, we'll call it unique about it. So that's when I pretty much went ahead and looked you know, online and saw a posting for a company uh, called Be one That Party, um, which is now BetMGM, as you may see the history behind it. Um, So I was brought in as the payments and chargeback specialist there, um, which was obviously, you know, in that time, it was like the only role that was around, you know, for a fraud and chargeback specialist that pretty much managed risk and payments. And I pretty much spent most of my career at that point in gaming. So later on, I moved on to um, DraftKings, which I was one of their fraud and chargeback leads there. And, you know, we'll call it bottom up. As the company continued to grow, I moved up into leadership positions. So I went into management, um, and then uh, I just recently um, left DraftKings as the director of fraud investigation. So, overall, five years of gaming experience, um, you know, per se, and I'm continuing my career as a consultant serving the industry where I was in project.
0: Amazing, and although maybe at surface view, the link between. Travel-related fraud and iGaming fraud can be the industries can seem quite different, but in terms of fraud patterns and things like that, there might be some similarities. So I was wondering, like, what does abuse look like in the iGaming space, and and are there similarities to the travel space?
1: Um, I would say there's definitely some similarities, but you know, I would say the specific similarities that that you would see is obviously specific to transactions and you know, in the e-commerce space, you know, you're, if you're transacting, you know, for Let's say a product or service, you know, most of the time you're using, you know, a credit or debit card. And and similarly in the gaming space, you know, you're transacting, but you're actually transacting in a way that's, that's a little more unique to a, we'll call it a merchant, but it's pretty much common, we'll say in the banking world. So there's a lot of similarities in the banking world um, that online gambling merchants have. And so when you're using your credit card and debit card, you're really funding the account and placing that first deposit or, placing deposits to to wager or to to play on the casino or to even enter into contests. And so some of the similarities are really around, you know, what are the fraud signals that that comprise potential um, credit card fraud? Um, And then also first party fraud, specifically friendly fraud, which is very, very common in the gaming space because, you know, as as you may know, you know, if you're spending money on a site and you're trying to win money, but you eventually lose then there's always going to be um, some form of you know, case where a person may just get so upset, they're going to call their bank and try to dispute it. So there is this similarity, but the uniqueness um, that's very much specific to the gaming industry comes to the fact that in you know every, we'll call it gaming merchant, you don't just use credit cards. You're using different forms of payment, it could very well be ACH, it could very well be cash, it could even be gift cards. And so I think what makes it very different is the complexities around how many payment methods a gambling merchant has and how many we'll call it avenues that someone has to really take the money out, which is a withdrawal in this case or a payout. And so fraudsters are pretty much looking to monetize um, the system by basically finding ways to move money in and finding ways to move money out, whereas other merchants may pretty much see their products go out the door, their services go out the door, And then
0: monetize it afterwards. So, you mentioned forms of payment. Like, if you're a typical gaming site or iGaming site, how many forms of payment would you expect? And then, as a fraud analyst or someone on that team, how, I guess, yeah, how many forms of payment do you need to prepare for?
1: <laughs> well, it's, I mean, the industry has grown so much that I think it's, it's c- continuously going to be more payment methods. But I would say, you know, in, in the, in the, we'll call it more consistency, you know, consistent part of each of the gambling merchants that are out there, you're going to see at least four to five payment methods. And, you know, one thing to call out is that, you know, the, the reasons behind it have more to do with the ability to get money onto the site. Where in the early days, we'll say in New Jersey, which was one of the first states that obviously offered online gambling, um, at that time acceptance rates for credit cards and debit cards was relatively low. And so in order for you know companies to be able to get you know players to deposit, there need, there needs to be a way to fund the account besides a credit card if you hold a car that doesn't allow gambling. And so that's been more of the reasons behind it, but and in, in, in more so in time. Convenience and and also innovation. You know which payment methods offer different features. Um, you know possibly rewards and even you know more so the the ease to be able to like manage their their bankrolls. Like you know players that are more sophisticated. You know wagering. You know let's say large fund uh, large. Um, fun, uh,
0: you got some whales in there.
1: Yeah, just you know just large sums of money and and, and so forth. So so there's a combination of the three, but I think. You know, in this space, we're probably going to see a lot more payment methods um, as the time goes on and a lot more innovation on the payment side. But it does make things very, very, very complex for a fraud analysts, which is part of what, you know, what is the challenges behind how to detect fraud, how to manage it and how to manage it effectively, efficiently, you know, without putting, in, you know, um, we'll say loads of friction along the way where customers then are upset and not, you know, able to play, which that means, You're running away to somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So in terms of these different forms of payments, like if you had the stack rank, then like what, what are the most risky or susceptible for fraud? And what are some of maybe the, the safer bets here in terms of forms of payment?
1: So um you know risk is really the, you know defined by the operator too so you know risk rules risk controls and and their technologies that basically manage we'll call it the operational piece which is like how do they get money in how is it processed and so forth can dictate some of the risk but you know credit card and debit cards continue to be one of the highest risk methods um when it comes to you know uh, transactions because Sometimes there is obviously a level of, you know, we'll call it unknown, you know, when someone's actually in possession of their car and depositing, you know, identity is obviously, you know, um, part of the process to onboard a customer required by regulations, but then adding a credit card or debit card, there is, you know, not enough information to, to base whether or not that car belongs to them other than what is traditional in every e commerce space, which is AVS cvd which tends to be obviously very much relative, but but it's not always the source of truth when it comes to whether this person belong. I mean, this person's car belongs to them, and so that remains the the more of the higher risk methods. Um, obviously, digital wallets, you know, is, is you know is there as well, but you know, there's obviously some level of KYC onboarding for some other payment methods that are you know obviously available, which means that there are regular checks that take place to determine the identity of the account.
0: Mm-hmm makes sense And kind of switching gears a little bit to different abuse types or fraud types on the platform was curious if you could describe a bit more around some difficult fraud trends or cases that you've had to deal with whether it's firsthand or kind of in your consulting uh, experience.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, um, you know early, I, I want to mention this the early days, we'll call it, and, I, and I'll keep referencing that, you know, in New Jersey, when acceptance rates were, were quite low, we never really saw um, the forms of fraud that we would see commonly in, in other industries. And so, um, you know, over time, the state started to obviously allow for, you know, online gambling, casino and sportsbook, and even fantasy sports. Um, you know, the, the times that it took to obviously evolve to a place where it was more commonly seen um, was probably several years. But when I think about, you know, some of the uh, we'll call it, you know, major fraud incidents or, or in my time or what I would call like, like a, you know, like a, a fire, you know, and, and when everyone's like, oh, well, what do we do now? Um, there was a lot of wait and see. Um, so we were always like waiting to see something happen, which is very reactive. Um, but one of the fraud, you know, issues that I've seen that was very much starting to become more of a challenge was more so than that um, finding, you know, obviously fraudsters that were committing fraud using, you know, credit cards and debit cards. But early on, when acceptance rates were so low, uh, we actually saw fraudsters that were actually very sophisticated to the extent where they understood that that component. They knew that there were some cards that didn't work. And so they were exclusively using cars that were allowing um, deposits to go through. And so one of the fraud incidents that I saw, um, this was, uh, we'll call it a group um, out of New Jersey. And the group out of New Jersey would basically have, you know, stolen identities, stolen credit cards, and part of their their, we'll call it MO, was pretty much opening up as many accounts as possible So speed, meaning they were working together in a very much, um, you know, we'll call it, um, you know, fast path, trying to get as many accounts open, uh, funding the account with cards that were, um, you know, allowing deposits to be processed, and then playing, we'll call it, casino games, specifically slots, table games, and so forth. And their goal was opening up as many accounts, trying to win, you know, big jackpots or, or big prizes and then eventually withdrawing it out. And so that group that we saw um, obviously opened up a lot of eyes for us, but we realized that, you know, sometimes, you know, operators, you know, spend time trying to reduce friction, but ultimately they're not seeing some of the risk and some of the gaps. And so, you know, gaps that we were seeing were obviously just components of different payment methods that we were not, um, you know, we'll say evaluating their risks as well. Um, name checks on withdrawals and the processing of certain withdrawals for certain amounts made us realize that, you know, we would have to adjust and tune our alerts accordingly and also apply some friction along the way. So that's a great example of that because it it also told us that the frosters spent time trying to basically test and, and, and see which what worked and what didn't. And over the course of time, we saw that Frosters spend more time testing. And once they learn, you know, we'll call it the ropes, they were able to attack. And so um, over time, challenges took place, you know, for a lot of operators, you know, where basically there was large scale fraud rings that were taking place. And a lot of these, we'll call it, um, Frosters spend most of their time informing their friends, their family and and folks. And so it looked like, you know, there was obviously, you know, um, some form of time spent to actually commit
0: that fraud. Yeah, uh, a term I often give uh, folks in the industry is I compare fraudsters sometimes to velociraptors where from the original Jurassic Park movie, if you remember, where they were testing the fences and essentially trying to reverse engineer it. And once they figured it out, then they could strike heavily and, you know, uh, make a large kill or or really take advantage of the situation
1: and it sounds like
0: that's similar to what's happened in this space where they reverse engineered systems understood where uh kind of things that they could get away with and then once they found that soft spot like boom let's drive a truck through this particular uh vulnerability um you mentioned uh a term kind of uh, near the beginning here around things being quite reactive and one of the things i've noticed in the industry is that there's been a push maybe five plus years ago, things were quite reactive and whether that's because of different tooling and rules and things like that, you would really have to get burned uh, before you could learn. And now lately, there's been more of a push towards a more proactive stance and kind of wanting to get your thoughts there on like, do you see that transition in the gaming space as well? And, and if so, what does that actually look like?
1: What we do, and and you know, just just to point out, you know, because of the issues, you know, with acceptance early on, I'll reference that again. You know, conversion and getting customers in the door, and obviously competing, you know, in in a market that's very competitive, you know, very very much, you know, niche and you know, only a few players in the space. You know, like ensuring that a customer, you know, is onboarded, gets their money in, and gets, you know, is able to have a great experience. Is paramount um, to any operator, and so early on, the you know what I would say is reactive is obviously um, more of like adapting to obviously a competitive market. Um, now that obviously things have evolved, and and there's obviously a lot more we'll call it um, you know access to the market, more states that have gone live, and the problems that now have arise from fraud, which is obviously cost of operations, cost of you know consumer experience. Cost of even chargebacks as well. Um, you know, operators are now looking to pivot and 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 move towards a proactive, um, we'll call it approach. And and more so than that, it's also to ensure that you know friction is applied strategically, targeting you know in in the right places. You know, you know whether it's in during onboarding deposits or withdrawals, but also being able to then um create behavioral um, profiles around customers to be able to understand what is a good customer what is a bad customer and what are a good customer that started with, with a site turns bad later on and, and and that's part of more of you know the future where we would hope to see and you know I, i'm sure we're seeing it a little bit more um you know as, as you know months go by um companies are looking to to innovate and and technologies that wouldn't necessarily we'll call it work well in some other industries don't have the same we'll call it um perfect fit for for an operator and so what we're hoping to see is that technology start to um, improve uh, innovation happens and something to to the effect of where there's products that are unique to the gaming industry and and over time you know i'm sure we're going to see a lot more of that but but going back to, to to your question um, I think it's really around, you know, trying to to find the right technologies to really be able to be proactive where, you know, it's still reactive as it is today.
0: <laughs> Got it. And I, I think uh, one of the things that okay, you and I have chatted about in the past is living that I'll call it spreadsheet life where yeah. you, that that was your cue, that was your workflow tool. Uh, and you have to generate that thing, populate it. Maybe you have some friends or some coworkers that are also on there. You kind of Divvy up the sheet, and you go. And part of it's kind of fun because you are really hunting and pecking for those different fraud trends and rings. But uh, at the end of the day, man, uh, does it become a slog, and it, it it becomes quite difficult to scale with all the different kind of uh, abuse types floating around in there.
1: It does. It, it does. But yeah, and to to that to that point, I think also you know um, fraud uh, fraud analysts, you know, folks that do manage fraud risk, you know, for operators, you know, they're, they're quite a, 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 a we'll call it a jack of all trades, right. And, and they're having to learn how to even like, you know, manipulate data, you know, create pivots, you know, run queries and be able to use multiple systems and be able to actually even work, you know, with other teams and communicate with them to be able to explain certain things. And so, you know, one of the things about being reactive also, it, it consumes a lot of time and, and also puts them, you know, someone in a position where they're working on you know much harder than it should so yeah i always say work smart not hard
0: right <laughs> awesome well don thank you thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today it's been an amazing overview um, i know we just scratched the surface for a lot of this stuff but thank you for taking the time out to meet
1: uh, oh, as always anytime is my pleasure thank you <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Digital Trust and Safety Insider Podcast presented by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. For more fraud news and insights from our trust and safety architects, follow us, up, follow us on Twitter at GetSIFT and check us out on our Fraud Intelligence Center at sift.com slash fraud hyphen center.